0: Welcome to The Fog at Bay, stories of mental struggle and growth from the people in academia and medicine. I'm your host, Peter Chisnell. Last episode, our guest Abby mentioned that she'd like to hear from people struggling with issues who are in the upper echelons of academia and medicine. And we agreed with her. We think it can be really refreshing to hear that these superstars we look up to still struggle, that they still have you know, mental crap that they're trying to work through. So we went to the top and we interviewed Igor Mitrovic. He is a professor of neurobiology and physiology, as well as a physician at UCSF. He almost died a couple years ago due to a six-inch blood clot. And even though he survived, the experience left him scarred in a way that he never anticipated. Here's Igor.
1: Perhaps one of these things actually is... Maybe related somewhat to, to, to midlife crisis. And sometimes I wonder if the midlife crisis is not not just, just the really final realization that there is an end, and you are hurtling towards it. There are things that you can't do anymore, and there isn't that much time that is left, so you kind of... And then you add on top of it something such as what I've had, portal vein thrombosis, which was extremely scary, didn't know what was going on. I actually had these panic attacks, and I was thinking I had pheochromocytoma, but no, it was a huge clot in my portal vein, and I got on heparin and very quickly, fortunately for me, and the uh, clot was clot was gone in maybe three and a half, four weeks, almost gone in four weeks, in six weeks, it was completely gone, it was a six-inch clot. But what left after the clot was gone, was incredible sense of vulnerability, um, fear of the kind I had never experienced. I was seeing, actually, if you will, dragons around every corner, only to realize that I'm actually depressed. I it. Pretty bad depression. I called a colleague of mine, one of the particular bouts of depression. This is actually some kind of mix of depression and anxiety at the same time. A colleague of mine was, he was my protege uh, and a psychiatrist now, and he told me, Igor, you know, you were depressed have a great person for you so I recommended another colleague here so I went on seeing him and got on some medicines and it took me a year and a half to really get out of that depression I was teaching and I was like doing doing things but uh, I wasn't well it was really bad, you know, I, I knew I, I would go home and every evening I would have these episodes of tightness in the chest and almost having some, some things that felt like, you know, my inflammatory system was acting up, this flushing feeling and then anxiety, and just deep Seated fear and I would go downstairs in my house and cry try to hide it from my son not quite successfully it wasn't fun that was such that I wasn't even sure what I was even, even now I feel tightness a bit of a tightness in my chest thinking about it I wasn't even sure what I was said about what was going on I was anything but fun to be around. It was, yet somehow I still managed to teach. Maybe that was my lifeline. <laughs> because when I teach, I at least am not, I wasn't completely in my head alone. So, fortunately I... I'm fine now. So it was scary. It was devastating. Though I didn't consider it myself at the time. I can see how when one is gripped in, in, in this in these claws of, of depression. The pain is so 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 big that one just would want to do anything to stop. I can see why my cousin's husband took his own life. Everything feels pointless, meaningless. And all there's left is feels like you're you're made out of pain and it will never stop. Well, uh, one thing that I'm blessed with is, is an incredibly understanding partner. My wife is a remarkable person in that sense. She may not be someone who is uh, trained or capable to treat me <laughs> if I am feeling bad. But she's incredibly reasonable in essentially recognizing you need help. Let's do something about it. Take your time. If you need it, go take care of yourself. Everything can wait. Someone else will do it. And, you know, strangely enough, this is something that, that I'm trying to when I talk to a student who has who is experiencing something like that, students feel like, for some reason, maybe I was like that when I was younger as well. Almost the younger one is the more more concerned one is with time, which is in, in kind of kind of paradoxical. You know, it's like, oh, I don't have time. I can't afford to taking a year off. Why? It's really about your life. It's really about the big picture. You know, what is it that is more precious than than your own health? You know, you may save one year now, but you may lose ten years later because of that. So that is why I feel actually that we all should remember that we should be the most important thing ourselves in our lives. Unless we take care of ourselves, we can't take care of anyone else. But I usually tell them, okay, you oh, everything that you, you have just told me, now I'm asking you to sit and imagine that this is what your child came and told you. What would you tell your child after you've heard everything? so that is actually a bit of decentering in which essentially not only decentering but you care about this person how are you going to what are you going to tell them and can you take your own advice so if you can be compassionate and caring with your child and tell them that you know it doesn't matter what other people think if you are doing the right thing Think for yourself. It doesn't matter what other people think.
0: We would really like to thank Igor for sharing his story with us in this episode, and thank you all for listening. This episode is produced by Lake Odama and Dmitry Rumis and the music was by Atlas Sound.